Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. <clears throat> I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, Writing Wrongs for the Sake of Revival. Writing Wrongs for the Sake of Revival. We're going to begin uh, reading in verse 21 of, uh, of Matthew 18. And we'll read through uh, verse 35. So we'll read the entirety of the chapter, and then we will uh, just unpack that uh, and hopefully um, help us all to be able to see and understand uh, what the heart of Jesus is that certainly wasn't the heart of Peter. Notice the passage begins in verse 21 by, G by Peter speaking. And Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Have you noticed this about yourself at times? You will ask God a question and tell him the answer. You ever done that? So Peter tells him the answer up to seven times. That, that sounded like a good number to me, didn't it, you? Up to seven times. Seven times ought to be enough, ain't it? I mean, you know, if you if you do me wrong and and uh, do me wrong again and and again, I, I'll I'll forgive you for a while. You know, there's that turning of the other cheek scripture. You remember that one? Um, but Peter says seven times is enough, isn't it, Lord? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Now you mathematicians that figured out right quickly last night what, how many sins you could sin if you sin one a day for 70 years could easily figure this one out. 70 times seven, that's 490 times. You get that? How many of you want to forgive somebody 490 times? Nobody. Nobody. In fact, it, it's a play on words that Jesus is using there to say, as many times as you need to forgive somebody, do it. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now this is what's called a parable. Now, a parable, the word parable, comes from the word parabole. Para means beside. Bole means to throw. It's like a ball. Bole. Parabolo. It's a ball. So you throw it. So here's what God, uh, our Lord does here. He takes the question that P Peter asked and throws a story alongside it. To teach a lesson that all of us need to learn. So he said, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I, I looked that up, and in today's money, that would be. Ten million dollars. That's that's a lot, isn't it? 
Now, you ask the question when you read that, <laughs> what slave could possibly owe that much money? But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord, his one that he was a slave to, commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay everything. Now, he knew he couldn't, but he, he wanted to try. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii compared to the equivalent of one day's wages for a slave. What much? What much? And he seized him, and he began to choke him, and saying to him, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Almost the same words he used it. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. How is he going to pay from prison? So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Now, this is a verse that most people don't think about. Jesus speaking says, So shall my heavenly Father do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Father, this is a difficult passage to receive. Because of our sinfulness and self-centeredness. But I pray, dear God, that this night could be freedom night for some folks. I pray that this night would become the night that the torture ends and freedom begins. I pray that you would help me to preach this in humility and honesty, with integrity committed to living this life out as you teach it in your word. We trust you to work mightily. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Writing wrongs for the sake of revival. So we look at this passage. You've got, you've got to understand that Jesus has just been teaching uh, about how to get right with the brother. He, he starts in verse 15 talking about somebody sinning against you. If a brother sins against you, go and talk to him about it. Go reprove him in private. In other words, don't make a big spectacle about it. Just go to him in private and try to work it out. Try to get it resolved. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more. Take them with you that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Uh, uh, this, this verse of Scripture has been used for every unbelievable thing you can imagine, but it's intended to deal with forgiveness. It's about people working together to get resolved issues in life that need to be resolved. But what we do is we, we'll take this and say, uh, you, you know, do you, you, would you just agree with me for this person to be healed? The Bible says if we agree as touching anything. It's not talking about that. It's talking about this issue about anything that relates to broken relationships. You agree with me as touching anything uh, that... Uh, uh, again, I say to you, if you, two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, and it shall be done for them for, my, for, by, uh, for them by my Father who is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in their midst. This whole thing is about getting relationship resolved. So Peter follows that with a question. He understands Jesus is teaching about forgiveness, and so he asks Jesus, well, if we've got to do this forgiveness stuff, how many times? And he tells him how many times he thinks is enough. The question is, the reason Peter's asking this question is, he knows himself. I could have asked that question too, couldn't you? Isn't seven times enough, Lord? I could have asked it that. I, I, you know, sometimes we make a big deal about what a, how, how, how um, uh, ungodly Peter is to ask a question like that, but I've never met very many people that wouldn't ask that same question if put in the same situation, or at least thought it. <laughs> or if somebody had written it down, they would have signed it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying here? Peter's not an unusual guy. He's just a verbal guy, and when other people are thinking it, Peter's saying it. I, I'm, you know, I, I've, I've had to learn not to say everything that comes to my mind. Have, have you? I mean, you know, you can get yourself in trouble. If you're married, you can get yourself in lots of troubles. You just have, sometimes just have to keep your mouth shut, you know. It's, a, it's just part of it. So, so the, the question is a question, Lord... Give me, give me the bottom line. Just give me the bottom line. In other words, don't give me the 
The most you could think of, Lord, just give me the bottom. Give me, give me as little as you can give me. And then won't, seven ought to be enough. But Jesus doesn't go along with Peter's uh, rationale about it. He gives him an answer. And he gets corrected. Seventy times seven. I got a little wooden sign <laughs> that a church member brought to me one day and said, I've got a gift for you, preacher. I said, what you got? <laughs> they, they turned that thing around to me, and I see on the sign, and it's got 70 at the top, a, a times a multiplication sign, 7, a line drawn, 490 underneath that. I'm assuming that meant that's what we expect of you about us. <laughs> and I wanted to say... Well, let me make y'all one. I'll make every member one, and I'll expect the same thing out of them. You see, our Lord is expecting this kind of heart from the people who are followers of Him. Think about it now. If you sin one time a day, and you live to be 70 years, and you got saved at 20, that means 50 years of one sin a day, and many times you sin the same sin over and over again. Do you think our Lord has forgiven us of the same sin more than 490 times? answer to that question is yes, absolutely so. There have been some sins. You know, the Bible talks about uh, a, a, a particular kind of sin uh, that, that he says, uh, uh, what does it say? Let us be careful about the, the sin that, that so easily beset us. Seems like we all have a certain kind of struggle that just seems to always trip us up. It's a certain thing that we do, and, and it's like, it looks like sooner or later I would quit doing that. But we just seem to keep doing it, don't we? But you notice, Peter didn't ask Jesus, how many times will you forgive me? He just asked, how many times do I have to forgive? I want us to, in our minds, try to transition the word there, having to forgive, to the word getting to forgive. I get to forgive you. Instead of, I have to forgive you. It changes the dynamic of it because it moves it from being something I'm forced to do, but into something that I'm enabled to do. But I want you to notice the situation. I'll tell you this parable is an overwhelming parable. In fact, it is a deeply, deeply convicting parable because it's as if Jesus is telling a real-life story about somebody, even though He calls it a parable. You can imagine that this has happened before. This slave owner who has the right to do a lot of things to the slaves that, that are, are under him, and you can tell that this slave owner has been good to the slaves. He's loaned them money. 
any of you that run business ever had somebody come to work and he's worked one day and he's wanting to borrow money and it payday is two weeks away? <laughs> Lord, I have. In fact, I've had them come to, to, to work with me applying for a job and said, now, now before I, I, I take this job, I'm going to need $10 to buy lunch today because I don't have any money. And I've had some of them that just, you know, just borrow a little bit and a little bit. Next time, next thing you know, the little bit's several hundred dollars. And, and you know, they, they found somebody else that'll hire them. And they forget that you loaned them that money somehow or another. I've lived through that. I've run a business. I know what that's like. And everybody that criticizes business owners ought to be one for a while and and uh, you won't be criticizing quite as much as you used to. But, uh, but um, this man goes to this slave and he says, I want you to settle up with me now. We, this has gone too far. And the slave is absolutely convinced that there's no way he can resolve this issue. What he pleads to do, he knows he can't. He, he can't come through with it. He's, he's gone too far, and, and, and he's a long way away. He's, he's not going to live long enough to pay this debt back. But he falls down, and he pleads for mercy. I don't know about you, but that's kind of what I did when I met Jesus. I just came to him and said, I don't have a thing in the world to offer you. But I need mercy. I need mercy. On top of mercy, I need grace. You see, mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. Grace is giving you way beyond anything that you could ever possibly observe. And so this man is asking for mercy, but he's also asking for grace. So he's going to get a, a double portion here if this, if this owner, this slave owner, is favorable to him. It's amazing to me at the tenderness of this owner's heart. This guy has fallen prostrate before him, and he's, he's literally begging him to be merciful to me. And, and it's not, the, the, the communication here is not like he had to go home and pray for two or three days over this. He just made the decision on the spot. And the guy gets up, and he goes free. And, you know, he's just going away. And as he's going away, he runs into a guy that probably he took some of that owner's money and loaned it to him. Let him have it. For whatever reason, he let him have it. And he let him have it, and, and he... He's not able to pay because slave labor doesn't bring in much money. And so he gets in debt. And so when he sees that slave, he says, All right, I'll let you have some money. And it's been a long time now. You've got to pay up. What's so interesting about this story is there are a lot of people watching. Other slaves are watching. You know something about life? You never know who's watching. My wife and I went on a vacation just a few days ago, and we were up in Vermont, Burlington, Vermont. I didn't even know there was a Bur Burlington, Vermont. 
until my wife found it. And uh, here's what I've learned about, about my wife and me. I could care less about planning a vacation. I just like to go on them. So she says to me a, a few weeks back, she says, um, our 47th wedding anniversary is coming up, and, and I think we ought to go somewhere, and I would like to go to Vermont. Would you like to go there? You bet I would. <laughs> I mean, that, any man with one eye and half sense is going to say, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah. And she said, would you be okay if I just planned the trip? I said, you bet I would. <laughs> yeah, you plan it just wherever you want to go. And she said, you're not going to say anything about what it's going to cost or where, where we're going to stay? I said, I promise you I won't say. I, 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 I you know, kind of stuttered a little bit there. I finally got it out. I, I, I won't say anything. But, but you know, we, we go to Vermont. And in fact, we, we stayed there for we had the greatest time. We got some of the most beautiful pictures. She took one of me that is outstanding, I'm telling you. <laughs> I was outstanding on the porch, you know. I, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it, anyway, uh, we, we get to the airport to come home, and, and we got up to, to, you know, they start calling names out and everything. You can't hear a word they're saying. And I, so I saw her get up, so I thought it must be us. And so so I, I get up, and we're standing there, and, and, and I hear somebody over to the side of me said, Hey, Brother Danny, how you doing? And I turned around, I said, I'm doing great, how are you doing? I said, who are you? <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't, if I've ever seen that guy in my life, I, I don't know it. He, I, I said, who are you? He said, and he told me who he was, and I said, oh, yeah, 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 I know you, Daddy, and the, I know your uncle, and, and, and uh, I said, but how in the world do you know me? He said, all you Williamses look just alike. So I thought, my <laughs> I look like a senator. I got a brother that was a senator. He's not anymore, but uh, I guess you could say I look like a senator. And I'm just a Baptist preacher, you know. But here's, here's the point I'm making with this. This, this guy, this, this guy was forgiven of all his sins. And then he meets a guy that owes him a little bit. And he says, pay up. And when he says, I will, but I just need you to give me a little time. He forgot everything intentionally that it just happened to him. And he intentionally forces the rule of payback on somebody else. He had received extreme grace and mercy. He extends none. Now I don't know about you, but that is offensive. It's offensive. He should have modeled what the master modeled, but he didn't. And so, 
the other slaves go and tell the master. You, you've read the story with me. And, and the master is insulted by it. And he comes and finds him and says, I can't believe you've done this. After I forgave you of all that I forgave you of, and, and you're willing to go and find a guy that's hardly done anything at all to, to be so offensive, and, and, and you won't even forgive him of the little dab of money that he owes you? How could you do that? And he says, so here's what you're going to go through. From now until I decide that you've suffered enough of that, I've got some torturers appointed, and I'm going to let them torture you until I'm convinced that you've got the message that people that get grace and mercy need to give grace and mercy. You say, well, what, what do you think the torture was like? I, I don't really know. I'm, I'm not sure what it was like. It's probably prison. It was probably he's put in stocks. He may have been beaten. Uh, I, I have no idea what the torture was. But here's what I know. Jesus says, And he was moved with anger and handed him over to the torturers, plural, until he should pay all that was owed him. Here's what I've learned about life. Unforgiveness puts us in a state of living that is awful. It's like hating somebody so bad that you just kind of wish in some way that somebody would just poison them so that they would die. But that's not what happens. You're drinking the poison every day. And you're dying a little bit more on the inside every day. It's like taking strychnine, and you don't, don't have to take much strychnine, but over a, a long period of time, it will build up in your system, and, and ultimately you'll get a little worse and a little worse and a little worse until finally you're just gone. I grew up in a home that encouraged and required forgiveness to take place. And I tried to practice that. When I became a Christian, I even more tried to practice that because I wanted to be as much like Christ as I possibly could be. I was in business and had a lot of people that cheated us out of a lot of money. I've had people to take advantage of me in lots of ways through the years. I've had people say some awful things about me and do some terrible things to me. And, and it seemed like along that journey I, I did okay with it and I was able to forgive. And, but when I went off to Bible college, clearly directed by the Lord, I was not prepared for what I would face. The first 
class that I would take. It was an 8 o'clock class. And I walked into the class, and the professor was brilliant. Photographic memory. I knew nothing of that. My memory's about that long. Studying for me, I had a, had a, a psychiatrist one time who, who, who did a psychological evaluation on me and my wife to be able to uh, be considered to go to work for the North American Mission Board as missionaries to uh, planting churches in Florida. And, and when he did the evaluation, when you had to go back and meet with him, and, and he says, says to me, he says, um, he says, I have never graded an application like yours before. He said, <laughs> he said, I don't know how you made it through high school. <laughs> My wife just busted out laughing. She said, he said, from your testing, you have to be the most distracted person I've ever tested in my life. Now we call it ADD or ADHD today and they give you medicine for it but daddy just whipped me and you know and said all right now you got to get your mind on this thing and and so so you know I, I, I had a struggle learning. Learning was hard for me but I, I, I'm in a class with a photographic memory professor who graduated with, from one of the most prestigious universities in the country PhD guy and so he starts off teaching the class and he's he's about five minutes into the class and he's done said about ten words I came right off the farm he said about ten words I never even heard the words before and so I just raised my hand I he used a word, I mean, it's easy for me now, but he used a word, presupposition. That was a big word for a country boy from Toombs County that came right off the farm. And I, I, I didn't know what presupposition mean. He tried to explain it to me. It didn't get any better. <laughs> I mean, it was a tough thing. And then he began to mock me in front of my peers. I was asking a serious question. It's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. I, I, I'm like, help me, Jesus. So, so here's what I did. I, I turned in the front page on, on the white page in my textbook. And for the first month of that class, I wrote words down that I'd never heard before. And when I went home that night, I would get the dictionary and look them up or take my textbook and try to find what they actually meant. It was a tough, tough time for me. And he would say things like this. When I would ask a question, isn't that, and he'd say it to the, to the class, isn't that the stupidest question y'all have ever heard? Now, one time was all right. <laughs> but I guess after a while, the students were thinking, you're the stupidest student I've ever seen in my life because you keep asking questions. But I was trying to, I wasn't there to impress the professor. I was there to learn. And he just made a humiliating mockery of me day in and day out. Well, I, I did all right with it for a little while. 
And I thought, I'll learn. I'll, I'll, I'll pick this up in a little while, and, and it won't be so bad. I won't have to ask so many questions. But, but it didn't get any better. I, he, he was teaching one day, and I thought, that don't sound right. And I just picked my Bible up and was looking at my Bible like that. And he said, Danny, you can put your Bible away. You can look at that later. just flew all over me here's what happened to me I started hating the man as far as I could recall in my life I'd never hated anybody in my life I've been mad with a few people here and there but I'm not a person that has much of a temper I don't get mad very easily and I don't I, I, I just kind of accept that people are different and they struggle with different stuff and I tried to accept him but but after a while I I just couldn't accept anything about him. It didn't matter what he'd, he'd tell jokes. My mama went to class with me one day. She came out to Texas to see us, and so she went to class with me, went to every class. She said in that class, this guy walks in, he sits down, and he tells a joke. Well, the class died laughing. <laughs> I wasn't giving him the privilege of watching me laugh at some of his jokes. I, I mean, I hated the guy. I, I, in my mind... I, I had plotted. I, I can't believe, it's all, almost like I can't believe that, that I did this. But I plotted in my mind how that if he said this one more time to me about being stupid, I was going to get up out of my chair and I was going to walk up there and bust him right in the mouth. And if he got up, I was going to bust him again. I was just going to bust him until he shut up. I was, I hated him, folks. Now, I'm, I'm not in any way okaying any of this. In fact, as I move along, and I'm, I'm not going to be long here, um, but my mama said to me when we walked out of class that day, she said, do you have a problem with that guy? I said, if I told you how he had treated me, you'd have a problem with him too. She, and she said, this is my mama, this is how she trained her. You need to get that right. And I thought, well, you're going to go home in a day or two. And, but God didn't go home. In fact, every time I got in the pulpit, I struggled to preach. I was being tortured in my mind and in my heart and in my life. I wasn't happy with anybody, anything, because I was consumed with hate and unforgiveness. And it was like, it, it, it was like cancer eating away at the life of my body. And so... I went by his office, and I told the secretary I'd like to make an appointment to talk to the professor, and, and so she made me an appointment, and on that day, after I'd already had class with him, and he humiliated me some more, I go to his office, and I knocked on the door, and he said, come in, this stern and I walked in, and he's reared back in his chair. He's got his arms crossed like this, you know, looking over his glasses at me. And he said, sit down. I did. He says, what seems to be your problem? 
and just throwing gas on the fire. And I said, um, I've got a problem with you. He said, that's well evident. He said, anybody in the class would know you're having a problem with me. I said, I didn't come to excuse my problem. I came to try to right whatever's wrong, wrong has gotten between me and you, and I don't understand why you've treated me like you have. He said, you need to learn how to ask a question. I said, I ask questions in every class I've got, and I, I don't have this issue with anybody else I, but you. And um, I'd like to get it resolved if I can. And he said, well, I'll pray for you. As arrogant as it could be. I said, well, I'd appreciate that. I said, because I stand in my pulpit every Sunday thinking I need to get out of this pulpit because I'm not living what I'm preaching. And so he prayed. It was one of the most condescending prayers I've ever heard in my life. And I got up and walked out. After he finished praying, I, I didn't say any more. And I walked out the door and I thought, God, I don't know what to do now. So I went home that day and I walked in the house and I, I'm sure I was downtrodden. And I said to my wife, she said, how did it go? And I said, it went terrible. And I told her what happened. She said, well, you're not any better than you were when you went. I said, no, I'm, I'm worse than I was. I said, I, I don't want anything to eat. I, I'm just going to go study. So I went back to my office. had a little tiny office in my house there, and I, I sat down and opened my Bible, and it was like scribbly. I couldn't even focus. I tried to pray, and it was like I couldn't even talk. I tried to study the, the textbook, and it was like nothing was possible. I was being tortured. Not for evil, but to awaken me to something that I'd never experienced before. In the way I would experience this. So that was about 6 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, I just get up and go to bed, wasting time. And I lay down in the bed, and I couldn't go to sleep. I laid there till 2 o'clock in the morning, and I hadn't slept a wink. At 2 o'clock in the morning, in frustration and agony, I rolled out on the floor and I bowed my head, my wife's laying over there asleep, she doesn't have a clue what's happening. And I said to God, God, I know what your word says, that I'm to forgive this brother, but I can't. I've tried, you know I've tried. So God, if I ever forgive him, you're going to have to do something in me 
that I can't do in and of myself. God is my witness. I got off my knees and got in the bed. And I couldn't, couldn't have been laying there more than two or three minutes. And I was dead away asleep. I had to be up at 6 o'clock that morning because I had a, an 8 o'clock class and I had 50 miles to drive. So driving in Dallas traffic is a, an assignment. And so I woke up from a dead sleep. And I'm telling you, folks, it was gone. I didn't hate him anymore. All those words that rang in my ears and played like a, a movie played over and over and over. I could just hear them. You're stupid. You're dumb. That's a stupid idiot question and those kind of things. It, just, it was like I, did, I couldn't hear that music anymore played. That terrible voice. It was like it didn't exist anymore. And I went to class that day, and he treated me the same. <laughs> but it was like there was a shield that was defending me. Until this day, when I think of that man, I think of him with love and not hate. Now, I can't tell you in my journey how many times I've had people come to my office with an unforgivable sin that they are holding against somebody. I've had it happen with husbands toward wives and wives toward husbands. I've have it, had it with children whose parents have abused them in every kind of way you can imagine. I've had it where children have abused their parents and another brother or sister has held a grudge and won't speak and those kinds of things. I've had, you can just imagine. And I would read that passage and I would say, God is greater than than you and the God who you don't know like you need to know him is standing ready to come to your rescue and deliver you from the demons that torture you you see that's what was happening to me there was demonic torture in my life and all of a sudden God defeated my enemies and he gave me victory tonight I have a sense that there may be somebody here that's dealing with something that's bigger than you it may not be unforgiveness but it's something bigger than you it's something that you've tried to win the battle over and you failed. 
But I want you to know there's a living God here tonight. He's not in a grave. He's not dead. He's alive. And He's here speaking to you tonight. And He's speaking victory into your life. He's speaking hope into your life. And He gave me an experience in my own life to share with you tonight to say, Go free by the power and the blood of Jesus. I believe God will set you free to the point tonight that you could say, just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them for what they're doing to me. Forgive them. Because they don't even understand what they're doing. He wants to set you free. And let me tell you something. If He sets you free, it'll get all over somebody else. Revival breaks out where people get free. The community begins to hear about it when people get free. It is a transforming work of the Holy Spirit that you'll never forget about. So I don't know who it might be, but I want you to understand tonight, you have nobody to concern yourself about in this church building except God and you. And you just need to go to Him and say, I'm going and I'm kneeling before you and I'm going to ask you, God, set me free. Set me free. So I'm going to ask that we don't sing anything yet. I just want you to respond to God. Just respond to God. Everybody's heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. I don't want you thinking about anybody but you. You and God. Is there anything in your life that you want to get rid of tonight? It's like you're living in some torture. Maybe in a small way or big way, but it's just torture. God wants to set you free. Maybe somebody here tonight that some point in time in life somebody abused you. They may be dead now. But you're in prison. And God wants to set you free from the prison of hate and unforgiveness. Maybe it's somebody that's hurt somebody that you deeply love. God wants to set you free. There's a place for you to kneel up here. Just like that man knelt down when his master said, pay up. He said, I don't have the means. And the master in essence said, I'll take care of it for you. 
the master is here tonight to say, I'm here to take care of it for you. You have a sense that you need to respond to God tonight? Well, don't wait. Don't wait. You say, well, preacher, can't I just talk to him right here? You bet you can. You bet you can. Just talk to him. I didn't say a lot of words that night that I prayed. There were a few words, but they were deeply sincere. And I went free. And I'm free to this day about that. I only tell the story as an illustration, not as a vindication. I was vindicated at the cross by Christ. <clears throat> Father, I, I just want to ask you to make everybody's heart tender tonight. And bring us all to that place where we are liberated. Where Christ sets us free. We're free indeed for the glory of and the praise of our God.